This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is Birds of a Feather. Birds of a Feather. I don't really notice birds and the sounds they make. Mara says it's because I'm an engineer, but I don't know what that has to do with it. Well, okay, so there are lots of ravens, and they make about a hundred sounds. And the bald eagles, there are lots of them too, but they're usually pretty quiet. And the robins make a lot of noise at 4 a.m. on summer mornings when the windows are open. But I'm used to all that, and it blends into the background of the everyday routine. That's why I was surprised when I heard the whippoorwill. Quark and I were down by McIntyre Creek, appreciating the silent summer morning where the creek widens into the beaver pond. The whippoorwill call startled me because it was unexpected. Unexpected in the silence, but also because it was so out of place in the pattern that we were accustomed to. I must have heard whippoorwills out in the prairies where I grew up. I don't recall ever having seen one, but never in Yukon. I looked across the creek to the little island at the inlet to the pond to see if I could see the bird. My initial scans were fruitless, but then there was a quick movement, and I saw a nondescript grayish-brown bird who confirmed its presence with a trill of whippoorwill calls. I carefully eased my camera out of its case as Quark stood motionless. It took me a few seconds to zoom in on the little bird and snap a few photos. Then an eagle buzzed the pond and took up post on a dead tree near the edge. When I looked back, the whippoorwill was gone. When I got home, I transferred the photos to my computer and looked at them on the big screen. I was disappointed that they weren't all that clear. My camera is only a small point-and-shoot model. But even so, I emailed them off to Miriam, a woman at work. She is in the bird club and spends many of her weekends out birding. I added a note saying I had never seen a whippoorwill before and didn't know we even had them in Yukon. By noon, there were three emails from Miriam in my email. Yes, it did look like a whippoorwill. Capromolgus vociferus. But it was hard to tell from the photos. No, we don't have whippoorwills in Yukon. And if we did, this would be a real birding coup. Where had I seen it? Could I show her? Maybe along with a couple of others from the bird club? The next day was Saturday. I let Quark, Alex, and Mara sleep in, and I met Miriam at the bridge over the creek by the blue pump house early in the morning. She introduced me to Connie and Cameron, who were also birders. They were dressed in bird watcher uniform. Hiking boots, cargo pants, faded shirts, tilly-type hats, cameras with big lenses, binoculars, and backpacks. There were several tripods strapped to the backpacks, and together they had enough bird books that would have given John James Audubon cause for envy. As we walked the five minutes up the rocky, rutted trail towards the beaver pond, they chatted in subdued tones, about normal ranges, endangered species, and the effect of climate change on migratory patterns. We had just reached the picnic table by the pond when we heard rapidly approaching motor noises. The birders looked at each other in alarm. With the roar of a high-revving engine, a Toyota Yaris bounced up the last part of the hill and slid to a halt beside us. Oh no, exclaimed Miriam. It's them. We've had a leak. She turned to me. I'm so sorry, she said. Our operational security is usually much better than this. There must be a spy who has infiltrated our Facebook group. 
The doors of the car burst open. Three people squeezed out. One was Marcia. I had met her before at art show openings, and she and I had had a falling out at the robotics challenge the previous year. The other two, one man, one woman, were vaguely familiar, but I didn't know them. I was impressed, however, by how three such large people could fit in one such small car. Marcia straightened up and proceeded to massage her chest. A frightened little face appeared in the opening of her jacket. There, there, Spike, she said to the little face. No need to be afraid anymore. Then she turned to us. That was a hell of a tight fit at getting the car across the bridge by the pump house, she said. But nothing is impossible with the right equipment. And she gave the car a reassuring thump on the hood. The contrast between Miriam's group and Marsha's group could not have been more marked. Marsha's group wore brightly colored clothes and leather shoes that would have been more appropriate in Starbucks, which was where I'd vaguely remembered seeing all these people together before. They had no hats or backpacks, not even any cameras or binoculars, but each one was clutching an iPhone. You drove across the bridge? I asked incredulously. The bridge, which was on the multi-use trail, was designed for bicycles and ATVs. I was surprised it was strong enough to support a car, even a light car, although with heavy people. Well, of course, exclaimed Marcia. How the hell did you think you were going to get up here? You didn't expect us to walk, did you? Marcia's acolytes nodded. Mm, I didn't expect you at all, mumbled Miriam in a low voice. Marcia reached into her jacket, pulled out Spike, and plunked him down on the picnic table. Spike was a very tiny dog, hairless, trembling, blinking. Not a very practical Yukon dog. He started to whimper. Oh, shut up, commanded Marcia. She snapped a long leash onto Spike's collar. Then to the rest of us, Okay, so where is this bird, this chickadee thing? For ten long seconds, nobody said anything. Miriam looked at her two friends and then glanced at me. It was clear she didn't want to expose the poor whippoorwill to Marcia. Marcia glared at Miriam, then the other birders in cargo pants. Then she looked out over the beaver pond. Marcia broke the silence. Oh, for Christ's sake, she said. Well, call the damn thing. I've got the iChirp app on my phone. She fiddled with her phone, which quickly produced a sweet chick-a-dee-dee-dee sound over and over. I thought it was a whippoorwill, said Marcia's male companion, and the other woman nodded. They pulled out their phones, and soon a whippoorwill, whippoorwill duet was competing with the chick-a-dee-dee-dee. Oh, whatever, exclaimed Marcia. We'll get them both. The Tilly Hat crowd stood stock still, their eyes big and round, and their mouths hanging open in horror. Marcia looked around to be the first to detect the dense flocks of incoming chickadees and whippoorwills. When about 15 seconds of ornithological cacophony produced no responsive birds, Marcia said, huh, Must not be loud enough. She reached into her car and pulled out a wireless Bluetooth speaker and put it on the hood. The chickadee-dee-dee quickly overpowered everything else and echoed from the far side of the pond. I'm sure that all birds have their own languages. I know ravens do. They talk to me sometimes, usually in circumstances where I have food and they don't. And our daughter, Alex, talks to ravens all the time. So I guess songbirds must communicate too. Mating calls, sure, but, but what about the recordings on the iChirp app? Do they really attract birds? Maybe those are recordings of birds saying, Watch out! Fly away! There's a person over here with a big microphone eavesdropping on what I'm singing. So what sort of attention would a really loud chickadee sound and two muted whippoorwill sounds attract? The answer was quickly clear. 
a bald eagle. The eagle swooped in and grabbed Spike off the picnic table behind us. If I hadn't seen it, I would not have believed that Marcia could react so quickly. She managed to grab the end of the leash just in time. There was a short but dramatic standoff, with Marcia tugging on the leash and swearing at the eagle, who was at the other end of the leash about two meters above her head. The eagle flapped its powerful wings while holding Spike in its talons and made an indignant scree, scree sound, which would have been a good catch for the iChirp birdsong recorder. After a brief tug of war, Marcia jerked on the leash and Spike tumbled to the table as the eagle abandoned its breakfast. Without a word, Marcia stuffed Spike back into her jacket, jumped into her car. Her two friends also squeezed in and the car threw gravel on us as it spun around and headed back down the trail. The birders and I had some discussion about what we had just witnessed. We could not agree if this was comedy, tragedy, or incredible drama. But we wandered down to the creek where I had seen the whippoorwill, and then back and forth for about an hour. After some deliberation and consultation with the other birders, Miriam took out her iPhone and played a very short, muted whippoorwill call. Alas, we encountered nothing even closely resembling a whippoorwill. That's not quite the end of the story. There were two tangible results of the day's expedition, both of them in the paper. Wednesday's Yukon News front page had the full-color photo of the instant frozen in time. Marcia tugging on the vertical leash, Spike in mid-air, just released and starting to fall towards the table, and the flapping eagle glaring down in frustration with a big yellow eye. Miriam's bird-watching companion Cameron was really good with his fancy camera. And the White Horse Star the same day had a large black-and-white photo on page 3 of Marsh's car stuck on the little bridge with a tow truck trying to extricate it. The accompanying article mentioned details of a fine and costs to repair the bridge. And a little bird told me there was some consideration of charges under the Motor Vehicles Act. So I really don't know a lot about birds. But from all this, I have learned several important lessons, aside from the obvious observation that the early bird does not always get the worm. First, just because birds flock together, it doesn't mean they are necessarily all of the same feather. The two groups of birders definitely were not. Second, an electronic bird in the hand is not worth two in the bush, even if you're just trying to wing it. Third, one's tone is important. I understand clearly that it's not a very good idea to try to call two birds with one's tone. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.